Good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. But we are talking about winning time, episode number 16, episode 6 of season 2, entitled Beat L.A. Beat L.A. And I am back with my good friend, Mr. Casey Hall. Mr. Hall, how are you doing this fine Tuesday evening, my friend? I'm doing good. Good, good. Doing good. Yeah. Week's going slow, but I'm doing good. Yeah, it is. It's uh, these, uh, my couple of days so far this week of school have, uh, have, have not gone as quickly as, as one would like. Uh, had to do a lot of talking about the setup of Congress and, 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 uh, in government class, we talked about some immigration, and it's inter- it's it's interesting stuff to talk about. But when you're on your feet and talking a lot, those days tend to get a little bit long. So, but uh, yeah, I'll handle it. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. So uh, episode, like I said, episode sixteen altogether. Uh, episode six of season two, beat LA. Um, Casey and I are ready here to to go through it. Uh, we talked for about 20 seconds before we started recording and, uh, uh, Casey, I'll just, I'll just let you lead with what you were telling me off the air, buddy. Uh, extremely disappointed in this episode. I didn't think it was that good at all. Really? Okay. All right. I felt, I I don't know. I just, I mean, I knew they had to get to a point where it was Lakers and Celtics in the series. Mm Mm-hmm. I just felt there was about 20 minutes of this episode of 45 minutes that was pointless. Okay. Okay. Um, I actually, uh, personally, really enjoyed it. I thought it was, I thought it was really well done. I thought, um, for me, and I know I'm 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 a slightly more seasoned and experienced than you are, Casey, by by a few seasoned and experienced calendars. Yeah. Um, but for me, uh, there was a little nostalgia, especially in the first ten minutes or so. Uh, the the basketball team, like when I really started to fall in love with basketball, was right around 1982, 1983, and uh, that was kind of one of my earliest basketball memories was uh, Jordan hitting the shot in the 82 championship game to beat Georgetown. And then the following year, you had NC State beating Phi Slamma Jamma in the NCAA championship game. And then my biggest basketball memory as a young kid was watching the 83 76ers and the faux, 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 uh, 76ers of, of 1983. And so for me, I, I don't know, maybe that just hit a little nostalgia bone to uh, start out the episode because that was the first, I don't know, five minutes or so was was recapping the Lakers getting swept in the 83 finals. And, uh, I, you know, I, I just, uh, for again, that was, that was for me maybe uh, that hit the nostalgia bone a little bit. So um, I wish... I will agree with you on this. I wish that uh, some of the stuff done in season one, we could have gone faster through or not included at all so that maybe during this time period, we could go into further depth with Norm getting traded or the fire that consumed Kareem's house or 
all of those things, which all of those things happened. Norm Nixon got married to Debbie Allen, who was really, really famous at the time. So is is that kind of where your rub is at, or you just thought there's a bunch of stuff in here that you just, just had no interest in? I mean, I think it was some of that. I mean, the honey stuff, I didn't want to see again. Mm-hmm. That was pointless, and that was 10 minutes of nothing I wanted to watch. Um, some of the cookie stuff, I mean, we don't need to go to a job interview to hang out with her. Uh-huh. Gotcha. I, mean, I just thought that was bad. I mean, like, some of the, some of the, I mean, like, there were some good appearances with Dr. J and Moses Malone, Andrew Tony. I mean, oh, Andrew Tony, Jay, Jay Moore as Kareem's agent, who he is actually dating Jeannie Buss right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, they talked about Donald Sterling a little bit, Debbie yep. Allen. Yep. Um, seeing Kareem score it, set the scoring record, scoring over Mark Eaton. Yep. Yep. I mean, there were some good, some of those were good. I just felt. They could have gone faster, yes. I would have liked this episode and next week's the last episode, right? Yeah. I wish they would have broke the finals down since it was a seven-game series. Mm-hmm. Everyone should know that. It was like they broke it down where we got four games this week and three games next week. Gotcha. Gotcha. Like, I wanted a little more. I wanted to get to the finals. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, you know, we... Uh, what was it? Me, Crable, G, and Josh Ludke did the that film room this summer of the best of enemies or whatever, and they they did like an, an entire documentary just on the eighty four finals. Like it was an hour's worth of that three part documentary just on the eighty four finals itself, and that would have been uh, that would have been. Like I, I see where you're going with that. I I, I do. Now like, that you, now that you say it, that's what I would have liked. Yeah. That's what I would have liked. It's like I mean I know they we can't take from that, but like for this, like they could have done three or four like part of the series in each of these last two episodes mm-hmm. if they would have gotten through some stuff in season one and maybe at the beginning of this season a little quicker. Yeah, like I I, I really I felt like yeah, and we've you know we won't go over ground that we've already covered you know so we can yeah. we, we can move on from that so because i feel like to talk about this whole series in one episode next week when all the episodes have kind of been under 50 minutes mm-hmm. kind it of, doesn't do it doesn't do it justice yeah yeah and and we'll have to see how long next week's episode and I'm is guessing i'm just going off of what we've seen for episodes anyway yeah Maybe you're hoping for kind of like a, a, a Walking Dead or a, a Game of Thrones esque. Give us a, an extended hour and fifteen minute uh, right. season finale or something like that. Is what you're hoping? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, couple some some really good '80s music in this episode though, Casey. Uh, they they bounced back. Uh, not it wasn't it wasn't Ario Speedwagon. Now don't get me no, wrong, it, it wasn't was Ario, <laughs> but. Uh, little Let's Dance by David Bowie. Uh, we Won't Get Fooled Again by The Who. And Burning Down the House by Talking Heads. So uh, this this Casey Kasem fan was pretty excited about the soundtrack of this week's episode. And 
You know, I think it'd be interesting if they did like a soundtrack for for the entire season two. You'd have some good jams on there. I think we've no, we've pulled out some good songs from the early '80s here. So, um, yeah, I you know let's let's dive into it. Let's t- uh, best scenes of the episode. I I had about four uh, that I really enjoyed. Uh, I'll I'll, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll go ahead and start. I really enjoyed okay. the opening sequence um, going through. You know, a lot of basketball, the first 10 minutes or so of of the episode. Again, kind of going through playoffs, getting swept by the Sixers, uh, everything that went into that. I thought that was really good. Um, I really enjoyed the scene where they were debating on whether or not to trade Jamal Wilkes or Norm Nixon to get uh, Swen Nader uh, to, to help out Kareem against the bigger, stronger uh, post players, especially somebody like Moses, who... Again, the, the, this is a, another thing that they nailed. Moses just dominated Kareem during this era, and and Moses was the the best player in the league. He won three consecutive MVPs, so obviously he was playing at an extremely high level. Uh, so I, I I thought that was really good. Um, I liked Kareem's locker room speech that he gave. You know, where he kind of took the team under his uh, wing and and, and kind of became kind of became captain again and took that away from, uh, you know, took that burden off of Riley that he was feeling. I want to talk about that a little bit. And, and then, uh, at the end of the episode, kind of the playoff montage, which I think they had like Sacramento and then the, uh, how'd you like the, the Celtics playing against those old school green and red and white, uh, Milwaukee Bucks, uh, uniforms with Sidney Moncrief and Brian Winters and those guys. Uh, I forgot how ugly those were. Oh, goodness gracious. Those were brutally ugly. And my dad, his favorite basketball team is the Milwaukee Bucks. And, and you know, they, they were really good during that era. They they kind of, uh, you know, kind of like some of the teams in, the, in Michael Jordan's run, those Milwaukee Bucks teams were really, really good, but they were playing in the era of the Lakers and the Celtics who were just better than them, and they just couldn't get over the hump against them. So... Um, so those were kind of my four highlights of the episode. What what'd you have? I had some of the same, like uh, 76ers win with Moses when they won the championship. That was a, that was a good opening scene, good basketball scene done really well. Kind of showed um, like legitimacy on how, how everything went down mm-hmm. and Moses just dominating inside. Yep. Um, I had, I liked the, after 76ers wanted, I liked the conversation that Bird and Red had in Mm -hmm. the gym, asking if he saw it and all that. I thought that was really good. Just talking about, Hey, now it's our turn. Their turn's done. And, um, I liked that scene. Mm Um, I liked, I thought it was very short, but I liked Nixon calling out Jerry West at his birthday party at Oh yeah. When Nixon got Nixon got traded and uh-huh. they had his birthday party and Jerry West comes up and he's like, You never liked me anyway, so it doesn't matter that I got traded on my birthday pretty much from Nixon. I thought that was I just like that little short little nitpick right there because it took us all the way back to season one where they did not get along at all. Mm-hmm. Um and then I liked um I like that Kareem scene. 
uh-huh. where he lost his house and then walking in and then talking to his teammates um, and tell them that we're going to do it for the city, not for us. Um, I thought that was good. And then um, at the very end, Bus and Red's little monologue towards their teams uh-huh. uh, just kind of yeah. saying, we're not going to give in. We're not going to party. You're going to do this, this, and this no matter what until we beat beat the Celtics or vice versa we beat the Lakers I thought that, that was really good how they went back and forth um with the episode there to end it mm-hmm. yeah so those are the ones or those are the few scenes that I liked yeah I uh you know they they again and, and uh they, they did a really good job of kind of tying those things again together and and you know those couple of things like Norm did get traded on his birthday right before the season started and you, you know that was you know that turned out to be a very good deal for the Lakers. It was the right deal to make, and uh, you know in, in some ways you could kind of take a look at the Lakers of this time period. And I don't know, did you, did you ever read anything up on like Bill Walsh and the Forty ers of the eighties, Casey, at all? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, so uh, maybe you know, and and the modern example of this would be uh, like Belichick and the Patriots, where yeah. where. What the Lakers did is they always gave up on a guy a year before they were ready to give out, before their market value went down, you know. And so Norm did have a really nice year that next year with San Diego, um, and maybe even it was even two years. But then he went downhill very, very quickly afterwards. Um, they're they're going to get rid of Jamal Wilkes here at some point, but then James Worthy is ready to step in, and they were always just they 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 always knew when it was time to move on to the next guy. Uh, kind of like again, that's what Bill Walsh did in the '80s with the Niners. Is what Belichick is obviously very famous for with the uh, with the Patriots, and so that that was I, I thought they did a really good job with that. So I think we're kind of in a lot of ways on the same page. I had forgotten about the Larry Bird scene with Red Auerbach. I did like that scene as well too. Yeah, that, that was good too. So. Um, worst scenes of the episode. Um, I'll let you lead on this because you were you were pretty down, buddy. Anything that dealt with honey and cookie. Oh, okay, so I did a little googling and I found this, and I've been sitting on this for like two days, and I didn't tell you I had this. Okay, so I've kind of figured out why they have put so much time into this this character of honey. All right, so are you ready, sir? Okay. I'm gonna read this, and I and I apologize. I should have, I should have uh, noted the website that I got this from here. Uh, but it didn't take me long to find it. So if you really want to find it, you can find it. So, but I copied and pasted this word for word. So, based on the relationship time timeline and some key personal details, Honey would be based on Marsha Lee Osborne, who claimed to have met Doctor Bus in an elevator hotel in 1969 when she was 19 and Bus was 36. Her storied relationship with Bus fits Winning Time's brand of dysfunctional drama perfectly. From her recollection, she and Bus lived together on and off for 15 years and promised to take care of her for the rest of her life. And she took that promise seriously, legally changing her name to Puppy Bus, P-U-P-P-I. Osborne did manage daycare centers as it appears Honey does in Winning Time, but it's only after she and Bus's time together ended that when 
that she sued him for $25 million in palimony. And in the show, it was $100 million, I think, she said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another potential inspiration for Honey is Veronica Buss, a woman who sued Buss for allegedly marrying her while, she was, while he was still married to another woman, Karen DeMell, the only other woman he had children with other than his ex-wife Joanne Mueller, would be the only other logical choice as an inspiration for Honey. We'll have to wait for the rest of the season to see if Honey ends up giving birth, taking Bus to court for extramarital deception, or both. So it sounds like, by reading this, Honey is like the combination of three different women that mess with Dr. Bus in his personal life. So, right. so Google's a wonderful thing. Um, I'm glad we're getting towards the end of the whole Honey storyline, hopefully. You know, she's moved out and she has partied her way out of his good graces. And um, I agree with you. Uh, I do, I would have to say the the cookie stuff got drawn out a little bit. But in that vein, I do kind of see, you know, if this go, if this ends up going the distance and they're able to keep going and they tell the entire story. Um, obviously a big part of, and you and I remember this, when, when, Magic announced his HIV positive status. One of the first questions was, you know, Cookie was pregnant. Does she have AIDS? Does the child have AIDS or HIV at the time too? So I don't know. To a degree, I see the Cookie stuff a little bit. Um, I thought they, and I'm pretty sure I had read that they had gotten engaged and broken it off a couple of times before they finally got married, like in the fall, in the late, in the late summer of 91, I believe is when they officially tied the knot. So, I don't know. I'm a little bit on that one, but the honey one, yeah. Like I've said all season, I'm ready to move on. Yeah, it's it's. I'm ready to get to. I I think that's where I'm at. I'm just like, let's get to the finals. Yep, yep. Coaches, put it on your calendar right now. Saturday, October 14th. Sunday, October 15th, 2023. The first annual A Pen and a Napkin Fall Coaches Retreat here in Omaha. We've got a little bit of everything for everybody. We are going to start our day 10 a.m. Saturday morning with a live practice session with Kirk Walker and the College of St. Mary's women's basketball program here in Omaha. Then we're going to move everything to the Holiday Inn Express here in Omaha, 87th and Dodge. We've got a lot of things planned. We've got speakers like myself talking about 25 universal truths in coaching along with practice planning and a practice uh, planning an efficient practice. We've got Jeff Steinis, the boys assistant coach at Ames, Iowa, talking about building a complete program. We've got Tyler Shaw, the girls head coach at Sydney, Nebraska, talking about coaching cheat codes. And we've got Tom Craver talking about transition basketball and transition offense and the Boys Town way of doing things out of Boys Town here in Omaha. The best thing about a pen and a napkin clinics, though, is the interactive part of it. We've got small group coaching roundtables where you're going to pick the brains of three or four other coaches at the same time. Then we're going to have big group discussions. You're going to come up and you're going to have to talk. When you come to a pen and a napkin clinic, you've got to bring your own ideas. We're going to have a situation score discussion on Saturday night. Sunday morning, we're going to have a basketball smorgasbord session where we're going to talk about issues that coaches need to think about off the floor and how things can derail you off the floor and how to prepare for those type of things. So it's going to be a great weekend at a very, very affordable rate. If you would like to stay overnight at the Holiday Inn Express, it's $175 for everything, your room, your food, your drinks, everything that we've got going on, you're going to be taken care of there. If you're a commuter, it's $100, $100. 
all of this, it's, it's 26 hours, coaches. It's 26 hours of awesome, awesome information. And the, again, the best thing about it is you are going to be picking the brains and learning from other coaches. You're not just going to be sitting there getting lectured to the entire time. We're going to be moving around. So hotel rooms, we need to have at least 10 rooms filled. Or I'm sorry, five rooms filled with 10 uh, boarders. By September 15th, that's my cutoff date. So if you want this to happen, get signed up now so we fill up those five hotel rooms with at least 10 coaches. Commuters, you got till October 12th to get signed up and ready to go. Coaches, you're not going to regret this. There's a lot of really good places to go, but I really think we do it really well here at A Pen and a Napkin. So come check out our first annual A Pen and a Napkin Fall Coaches Retreat. So uh, grade the basketball realism for this episode my friend i think the realism was probably like a b okay maybe mid b because i I mean like seeing the stuff played on the court seeing the old videos of michael of mj and worthy um and then at the end of that monologue where they showed the series and all that stuff i thought that was very realistic Mm -hmm. um i gave it a b plus so we're we're pretty much in the same ballpark. Uh, like we had talked about, uh, Moses gave Kareem a whole lot of trouble. Just He was just a, a physical beast. Um, one of the underrated great players of the NBA in the early 80s, and my personal favorite player of that team was Andrew Toney. And if he would not have had the, the ankle issue, basically, uh, I don't want to say he was Steph Curry, because, I mean, Steph Curry has redefined the game and all these other things, but... You know, from what I know, Andrew Tony's kind of ankle problems were very similar to the ones that Steph Curry had earlier in his career. And because of advancements in medicine, 30 years later, they were able to help Steph Curry learn how to run again and to to rehabilitate his ankles. And I think Andrew Tony would have been one of the best players of the 80s. I'm not saying he would have been Jordan Bird Magic or anything like that, but I think he would have been then in that next tier of players, uh, a Joe Dumars, a Sidney Moncrief. I mean, that guy was so, so good. Killer mid-range game uh, that was just perfect for that time period. And so uh, when he did that little crossover and finished the layup there in the montage, I was like, oh, boy, Love to see it, but man, that hurt a little bit. Uh, So uh, James Worthy with the number one pick. Um, I thought it was an interesting story or interesting scene. Like you talked about Kareem's uh, talking with his with his agent about getting endorsements. And, and, you know, basically, you know, Kareem was not a popular guy. I think people respected his skill, but but his standoff. Fishness. I don't know if that's even a word. Uh, the the way he turned off a lot of people with his personality and the way that he treated other people, and you you know some of the racism that he suffered as a young kid in in New York, you know, created a lot of those scars. Uh, but that was another realistic thing that they portrayed. Uh, you know, I, I know at one point towards the end of his career, uh, he approached Magic about, hey. How can I get some more endorsements and how can I do what you do? And Magic basically looked at him and said, Cap, you can't do what I do because you don't have my personality. And and he meant that not in a 
negative way, but he was just kind of telling them the truth that you just you just turn off a lot of people with the way that you treat them. So all of these things, uh, that, like we talked about, the, the trade, you mentioned Wilt hitting the sky hook over Mark Eaton in Las Vegas to uh, to pass the scoring, um, to pass Wilt. Uh, so yeah, I gave it a solid B plus. Um, I really, I really thought they did a good job. Yeah, that, I thought that encore stuff and all that was very well done. Okay, all right. How about the Spencer Haywood who made the most out of the '80s and survived? Would you like for me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I put down uh, one of your least favorite characters of this episode, and that would be Cookie. Um, you know, for whatever reason, she decides to stay with Magic, but as we've seen throughout the duration of this series, uh, Magic, you know, he keeps calling her my girl, but he's not even dating her, and you know we're going to stay together, and he talks with her on the phone all the time, but yet we know what he's doing. He's he's running around and chasing women and doing this and that, and we know that you know, again, spoiler alert, this this will not be the last time that they get engaged. She's going to walk away from the relationship. My guess is it might be part of the cliffhanger for next week. Uh, so, um, you know, Magic, I put down here, Magic ran her through the ringer. Get it? Ring? No pun yeah. intended. Um, and, you know, he just wasn't really ready to get married until it was kind of too late. And so, uh, you know, so she got my Spencer Haywood award for the week uh how about you i'm going nixon okay what, what, uh, what's your angle just just how he had always been he'd always been the third wheel i guess you could say okay always behind kareem and magic um and under thrown under the bus jerry west didn't like him pat Riley wasn't always a fan of what he did um, the only one that really had his back was Westhead. Um, and then he does, we get to the traded part and he's pretty much like, don't worry when we play you guys, I'm just going to ball out and beat the living crap out of you. Mm-hmm. And he does that. Yeah. Like, I think I looked up the stats. I think he ended up with like over 20 points. Uh, he ended up with a double, double in points yep. and assists. Yep. Um, yeah, you know, and like he was just he just he just said pretty much screw you, I'm going to shove it back to your face, shove it in your face. Yep. And I and I thought that was pretty pretty good. Yep. Yeah. I uh Yeah, that 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 first year that he was in San Diego, uh he led the NBA in assists, 11. Point, 11 assists a game. Uh so and and he played in all 82 games. So I mean, he uh he was uh, a a really good player for uh, the San Diego Clippers, and then the next year, of course, they became the the Los Angeles Clippers. They were a terrible team. I'm just looking it up right now. They finished uh, 30 and 52, so he had a great individual season for a really bad team. Uh, but uh, you know, yeah, you know, he as I, one of my quotes here. Um, Chris Riley told, told Pat after that game, Norm got his pound of flesh, which I thought was a you know a, a pretty clever deal there. And then and then he had one more good year with the L.A. Clippers in eighty four eighty five. He averaged another seventeen and about nine. And then he really started to fall off, and injuries caught up with him. His last couple of years, he you know he averaged fifteen points a game, and then he averaged seven points a game, and he was he was out of the league. So uh, so he uh, he got his revenge for that one game. Uh, but then he just uh, 
you know, again, his, his career kind of faded in that regard. So, uh, but I like it. I like your thought. I like your idea. I think, what did he tell Debbie Allen when they were on the set of fame? Um, they sent me to San Diego. They might as well have sent me to Siberia or something yeah. like that. So, and, I, he, and he won the, and he won the girl thing in the end. I mean, he still married to Debbie Allen. Yep. And his sons is, is acting, is portraying him in this show. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, he's doing all right. He did. He did all right for himself. So yeah. Um, the Pat Riley DNPCD who should not have been in this episode. Uh, you know where my pound of flesh lies. Uh, time to move on from it. Hopefully, we're at the end of that storyline. That's where I'm at. How about you? Oh, exact same. Okay. All right. So we can. We 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 are just breezing. We are. This is what happens when great minds start talking and they start thinking alike. You know, it's it just it just rolls. It just rolls smoothly. So, hopefully, um, the lawsuit ends it. <laughs> well, yeah, I hope it does. I hope this is the last that we hear of this. So, um, the best quote uh, I had about uh, I had about four or five, and uh, one of them kind of ties into my coaching points. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna have those four, and I, I shared one already. Norm got his pound of flesh uh, from Chris Riley, uh, Chris Riley. Uh, Magic says at one point, the game isn't going to last forever, um, which is true. Um, you know, at some point, most of us, unless you're, you know, LeBron or, or, or Tom Brady or even with like a Tom Brady, the game kind of told him it's, it's time, you know, it's time, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday night very well. Last night, the game could have told Aaron Rodgers it's, it's time, you know? And, uh, so I, I think that, you know, you have to think about your post-career and, and what you're going to do, especially if you're guys where if you have a great career, even by the age of 35, again, this is pre-modern medicine, charter flights, trainers, all this other stuff. Uh, now, if you're Chris Paul, if you're Harden, if you're LeBron, you're playing to 38, 39 at a pretty good level. Uh, but for most of these guys during this time period, 33, 34 was, was getting close to the end there. And so... Uh, you know the game isn't going to last forever, and I think that would that really stuck with me. You know, as coaches, Casey, it's it's not going to yeah. last forever for us. At, at some point, uh, the game is going to tell us, you know, you're done on the sideline too. So I, I think that's important to remember. So that's my lead one. What's one you have? I have. <coughs> I had my the first one was when Red and Larry were talking in the gym, and I got uh, Red goes, "It's our decade. They had their minute. Now it's over." And Larry. Larry hesitates and responds with, I hope not, not until I get my shot. I just, I like that one because it just leads into how much Larry loved the competition with Magic. Yep. And he wanted to beat him. Yep. Um, he wasn't going to hold back and he wanted his chance to play them in the finals to finally sh- keep all the na- naysayers shut up. And yep. we finally get to see that battle. Uh huh. Um, yeah, I like that too. And, and without a doubt, you know, again, coming from the book reference, whatever that is, you know, those guys used to watch, um, watch the sports pages and, and they, you know, Larry was checking to see how, how magic played the night before and magic was doing the same. Uh, did you ever read that book or did you watch the documentary, uh, Casey? I think it's called something like when the game was ours or something like that. Um, Oh, what's her name? Jackie McMullen, I think, wrote the book, and then I think they kind of made it. I don't know if it was a 30 for 30, but they made it like an NBA 
TV documentary or something like that. I feel like I saw the TV documentary, but it's been a while, I okay. want to say. Yeah. If you, if you want to take a real deep dive on those two guys, I encourage you to read the book or watch the documentary or, or do both. Uh, it's, 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 it's a really interesting study of, of those two guys and how they sized each other up from, from either coast. So, Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, Strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Um, Kareem, during his uh, locker room speech, you know, this is what excellence looks like. And I love that line. Um, and, and I'll get into this when you when we start talking about the coaching keys, but... Man, when 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 the players take the lead like that, it just makes your job as a coach so much easier. And when when they establish those high standards for themselves and for the team, you've got a chance to be really good, especially if you have outstanding players. And and so I really loved what Kareem said in that locker room speech after his after his home burn down. Yeah, and I, I kind of got one on top of that. I liked. I have the quote where he said, "All the naysayers can kiss my blank because mm-hmm. I'm bringing a title back to the city." I just liked. I like that where he kind of put it on his shoulders, and he's like, "I have not played up to my ability. I'm going to go dominate." Mm-hmm. Like, and having somebody, having a player in a locker room, just say, "Hey, I'm going to take over. Give me the ball. Let's go." Yep. Who's coming with me? Yep. Um, that's always something that you want out of your best player or any player. Yeah. And and I think that there's times where you have players that think that they are respected, but they're really not. And then they try to say stuff and it actually makes it worse instead of making it better. But if, you know, if you're somebody like Kareem who hasn't said a whole lot and then he comes out and he's passionate about what he's saying and then he goes and backs it up you know he goes out and backs it up i again that is just a a rep uh, a recipe for greatness in in my opinion when when you fall into that situation and so yeah i i think we're both i think we both might say that our favorite scene of the film of, of this week's episode was kareem's locker room speech um yeah yeah i i, I think that might have been mine so um I've got one more funny quote, and then I've got a quote that I want to lead going into the coaching points for this week. So um, when the lawyer serves Dr. Buss, uh, honey's a reasonable woman. She'll settle for magic and Kareem. 
Yeah. Um, I was like, okay, that's pretty funny. Um, even though she's not there, that was actually might have been the funniest thing and the best thing that ever happened with her uh, in the entire season so far, dealing with her storyline. So I thought that line was really funny. So yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, my last one. I had it's just it was nonsense, but it made fun. It's funny when you look at what happened in the history when Riley says about to West about the trade and he goes seven seven foot Swedish meat he's like and like you think about it like you understand what he's saying because like they needed help for Kareem to guard guard Moses inside yeah well that guy played the next year when they got him in the trade with Byron or Byron Scott he played 12 games <laughs> and didn't play much in the finals, and then he was hurt, and he wasn't much after that. Yeah. Uh, so so Sven Nader was kind of a bust in that trade for him. Yeah. He um, he really how, – how would you say this? He was um, – what's his name? Uh, Bill Walton's backup at UCLA, and Wooden, you know, <laughs> vouched for him. And, and you know he had some he had some some runs like in you know in I'm I'm looking up his Wikipedia page right now Sven Naders and uh, you know he averaged 16 and 15 one year in the ABA this is back in 74 75 uh, then he got into the NBA and again for a bad San Diego franchise you know he averaged one year in 79 and 80 he averaged 13 and 15. And then in 80-81, he averaged 15 and 12, which is great. But then, you know, the two years before that, he he barely played, again, because like you said, because of injury. And I, and I think he just kind of uh, one of those guys that a bunch of people thought, this guy should be really, really good. And John Wooden said he should be good, so he's really, really good. And obviously, he's, he's better than you and I ever were, uh, Casey. But he was, you know underwhelming i would say would be his ultimate career epitaph in in my opinion uh for the hype he he probably did not live up to it from what he was built up to be oh yeah he i mean there wasn't much out of that i mean they got they got the shooter they wanted that's for sure yes yes and and just by getting byron scott that was a that was a win enough and obviously we know we know what happened after that so yeah um Coaching points and concepts that you would like to talk about with this episode, my friend. I've got uh, I've got three or four of them here, um, and I could go ahead and start it if that's okay. I, 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 want, yeah. I want to start with the one quote I held back on, and it kind of ties into Kareem's speech and um, kind of what we talked about there. So. Uh, Early in the episode, especially, I think it was after the Norm Nixon game where Norm tore him apart, and and Riley's in his office and he tells Chris, "I'm running out of stuff to say." And I don't know if you've ever been there, uh, Casey, but I know I've been there where it's just like I can't say the same thing in a different way for the forty third time this season I, again. And at some point, you in our situation you gals have to take it and run with it uh, i can't want it for you you know all of those different things and in in that moment i could kind of relate to riley that you know at, at 
at a certain point, you can only coach them so hard or so long that there's got to be some ownership by the, by the team itself. And like we had talked about, Kareem kind of took it from there. And so that was a, that was a coaching point I wanted to talk about using that quote that he had used early in the episode. Yeah. That's, I mean, I've, I've been there. Uh I mean, multiple times where you're like, you guys need to figure out, like figure it out. I can't hold your hand. I can't, walk you i can't go out there and play for you Mm -hmm. in other words like i think that's pat was like i don't know what to do anymore yeah like you're you're to a point where it's like somebody else needs to step up and say something in which they got that out of kareem there which was huge because he's never in all in everything we've seen on tv he never was that guy Mm mm-hmm he always was quiet. He'd go do it, go about his job. He might say a few things here and there, but he was, I'm coming to work. I'm going to get my job done. I'm going to go home and I'll see you guys tomorrow. Yeah. Yep. For him stepping out of his box there, that was, it's, I think it was huge for some of those players to see that coming from their captain. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, uh, what's a coaching point you wanted to talk about, Casey? Mine was kind of, same thing there when Riley was talking to Chris, it was having players keep that killer instinct um, and not being complacent. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a word I've used a lot just this year yeah. for basketball. Yeah. Um, just because you get, you reach your goal, but you don't want to be like, happy with that you want to continue to exceed that goal like i know the lakers like he was saying the lakers won two titles and it seems like oh they're just happy with that they don't want to win anymore mm-hmm. um so I, I i think just always keeping that killer instinct with players not being complacent finding different ways to motivate them is always key because you don't want them to just be like ah. We're gonna be, we're gonna be ranked in the top ten. We're gonna be fine. We're gonna get to the finals. Look at our schedule, and we're just gonna go ahead and walk out there and play. Because if you do that, it's gonna backfire real quick. Yeah, you know, uh, how do you keep them hungry? How do you how do you keep successful people hungry? And you know, one of the things that I think we will continue to see as this plays out is is magic kept that hunger bird kept that hunger the entire time and that's hard to do you know some of the like like uh you know our mutual friend kelly flynn Mm -hmm. he stayed hungry the entire time he hated losing just as much in his last year or two that he did when we were coaching against him 20 years ago you know and i always admired that about kelly and and, you know, I, I really think that, uh, you know, the, keeping that hunger, keeping that focus is, is so very, very important. And, and, but it's hard, man, it is, it is hard because, you know, everybody is gunning for you and to keep that edge is, is very, very difficult to, uh, you know, again, like you, you look at like the Patriots, uh, we'll use them again, you know, for, for 20 years, people kept coming at them and for the most part, he stayed on top of things. Now, again, having Tom Brady helped a lot. 
you know, and, and, yeah. and some of the other great players. But, you know, again, like Brady's another one that just kept that edge, and he kept playing when he didn't have to keep playing, you know. So uh, I, I, I think that's just such a – if it were easy – Everybody would do it. Yeah. And that's not what happened. You know, and that's not what happens. So, um, let's see here. I got a couple more things I want to talk about. I thought it was, uh, you know, trading Norm Nixon was not easy, but they knew it was the best thing to do for the franchise, for the Los Angeles Lakers, even though uh, it personally hurt them. I, I think that one of the things, and we as, again, most of the people listening to this are going to be high school coaches and, and you know, whomever else. But if you're, if you're coaching at Millard West, you've got to do what's best for the Millard West Wildcats for the 23-24 season. And whatever has happened, you have to look past that and you have to say what's best for us in the here and now this year. Um, and it's going to be the same thing for the Fort Calhoun Pioneers. Um and a lot of times we uh, we let our personal feelings and our personal relationships cloud that a little bit. And when you're in charge, uh, it's, it's not that you completely ignore that, but when it's time to do what's best for the business or what's best for the team, you do have to look past that. And when the decision is pretty obvious, like it was in this situation to trade Norm for what they were getting back, uh, you, you have to do it. And you have to set those personal feelings aside because the easy thing for the Lakers to have done was to keep the status quo, to keep Norm there. He was still playing at a high level, um, despite some of the things illustrated here. You know, him and Magic did complement each other reasonably well, but Byron Scott turns out to be the perfect running mate for Magic to have. And it was the right decision, and it extended the dynasty a lot longer. So that was one thing I wanted to say as well. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, it's never easy to make a change, um, especially, I think, in high school. Like, if. Yeah you're making a change for a starting lineup. Like we're not, we're not, we can't trade. Yeah. I mean, there's some days you may, you may want to trade somebody, uh-huh. but that's just, that's just the day. Um, but making a change in general out of your starting lineup, out of your rotation, that's difficult. It's always a difficult conversation. It's difficult to deal or to talk to the players about and adjusting to that, but you got to do what's best for, your team or your program at, at that moment. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one way we can look at it as high school coaches is you've got to make those, you've got to make adjustments. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't just say, Oh, I'm going to roll the same five out every time because that's what we do. And mm-hmm. I'll just sub, sub accordingly. Well, it, sometimes that might put you eight to 10 points in the hole. Yeah. And you can't do that every game. If you want to be successful. No, agreed. Agreed. And, and you have to handle those situations with class, with dignity, to be respectful. You know, and again, these are professional athletes and grown men who are making a lot of money. In the Norm Nixon situation, could they probably have tried to maybe get that trade done a week earlier before his birthday? Maybe that could have been better. Who knows? Maybe the opportunity wasn't in front of them until then. But, you know, but like I know when I 
make changes to the starting lineup, especially let's say we've gone seven, eight games in a row and we've started the same kids or whatever, or especially if you have a, a junior or senior and you're replacing them in the starting lineup with a sophomore or maybe even a freshman, man, I, I'm really sensitive to that that upperclassman's pride and their um, their feelings because they you know we're dealing with kids and you know it's it's usually a very quiet conversation I usually tell them first before I tell anybody else uh, you know and you give them the little pep talk hey we're still gonna need you you know we're you're you're, you're still gonna have a role in in tomorrow night's game but we're gonna have you come off the bench tomorrow night and this person's gonna start ahead of you and you know so forth and so on and and I think that um you might be excited about the move for your team, but in order to keep the team together, in order to keep the chemistry of the team together, you have to handle those situations the right way. And, um, you know, Jerry West kind of, one of his big first moves was, was making that deal. And, you know, he said, you know, I don't know another scene. I, I probably forgot to put it on my favorite ones, but I did enjoy the scene of him sitting down, talking to magic about possibly trading norm. And, he wanted to make sure that Magic was on board with it, and that's kind of you know uh, an early indication of the player empowerment era. You know, most of the time, big moves like this are now passed through the Giannis's and the maybe not Jokic. He doesn't care. He just wants to play ball and and raise his horses. You know, but LeBron has his stamp on things, and Curry's going to have his stamp on things, and all the way around the way uh, around the line. So, I, I think that's important as well. Yeah, I just always been able to have a conversation i mean yeah. like you said changing the lineup talking to somebody i mean i've had instances where you have girls be like why am i not starting when this girl's starting and it's just a conversation like i'm yeah. always somebody that feels like okay you're not starting that doesn't mean you're not going to play starter minutes but Correct. i like when you come off the bench because you give us we take somebody out that scores, but we put you in and you replace that with scoring. Or yep. we take somebody out that doesn't score as much and you come in and you score more than that person. Just different dynamics and different things they bring to the game. And I think, like you said, it's always having that conversation and adjusting or letting them know, like, hey, it's nothing you did wrong. It's just, hey, we're just trying something different for today or tonight or whatever. Yep. Uh, last thing that I had, um, did you have anything else under coaching points, Case? I did not. Okay, so last thing I had real quick. Uh, I gave this, uh, the, the Ric Flair, to be the best, you got to beat the best. And I, I love, you know, if you're a true competitor, you got to want to play the best and beat them at their own game or, or beat them at the highest level. And so I, I you don't shy away from that competition. Uh, you got to go out and you got to hunt it. You got to find it. You got to want it. You got to visualize playing that opponent or coaching against that team or whatever it may be. Um, and and I love the attitude. One of the great things about those those series in, in 84, 85, and 87, man, both of those teams wanted to win that so bad. And there there was pure hatred in the air when they played. And that's what made it such a great rivalry. Uh, they respected one another, but man, did they hate each other. And it's sports hate, but it's still hate. And 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 I'm just excited to see. I really, really hope they cap off this season really well. Uh, because I, you know, in my opinion, five of these six episodes 
have been pretty well done. And now we've gotten to this point where it's the 84 finals. Like you said, Casey, it's, it's one of the best finals ever played. I hope we, I hope we don't get sidetracked with a bunch of stuff next week. Let's, let's finish this season out the right way so that, you know, we get a third season of winning time. And that's what a lot of us want, including me and you. Yep. That's, um, that's my hope for next week. Yep. Yeah, I don't care if it goes two hours long, as long as they do it really well. Yeah, well, uh, you know, we we we've got it. Uh, we we've got it locked down. We're ready to ready to do it. So, um, overall grade. What do you have for an overall grade for this episode? I've got like a low B, high C. Okay, that's just because of the twenty minutes that I wasted watching Honey talk and Cookie talk. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, I agree with you though with the honey. We kind of went over that. I I had a B plus. Uh, I couldn't quite give it an A minus. Again, just you know, for 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 the reasons that I, I mean, it's just for me, it's been a steady stream. I feel like of of B pluses and maybe even an A minus here or there uh, for covering basically two seasons and one episode. They did a good job of hitting drafting James Worthy, trading Norm, Kareem passing the scoring record. Uh, getting swept by the Lakers and the effect that it had on the team. Again, you and I are basketball nerds, so a lot of the other stuff we could have done without. But um, I'm excited for the season finale. Uh, here's what I here's what I wrote down word for word here, Casey. Excited for a season finale, which should be all about 1984 Finals, one of the best NBA Finals ever. And that's what we're hoping to see. Yep. So, all right. Anything else, my friend? I don't think so. All right. So. Uh, episode 16 altogether, uh, season two, episode six, Beat LA, the title of this episode. I want to thank Casey for coming on here once again. Always enjoy these conversations that we have, and uh, we will be back for next week's season finale, and hopefully, hopefully a lot of these uh, things will be tied up, and they will leave it to where... uh, HBO will be ready to pick up season three. And, you know, if you listen to this podcast, which I know we've got a good following with this, uh, if you listen to this podcast, uh, be sure to to reach out to HBO, to tag them on, on social media sites and things like that. Uh, like I've said before, this this is a history, or this is a history nerd. This is a basketball nerd show, and we don't get a lot of opportunities in our little basketball nerd world, uh, in our little niche, as, as, as uh, Zach Lowe would call it, to, to have shows like this, and uh, even though, I, I, I think we would both agree, Casey, even though there's been things that have been disappointing about Season 2 in certain storylines or whatever, uh, Season 2 has been a whole lot better than Season 1. I, I think we would both agree with that, don't yes. you think? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's give them a chance to, to, now we really get into the meat of the 80s and bird and then you're introducing jordan and isaiah thomas and the bad boys pistons and a lot of different things here that that should just be great great stuff to talk about so uh let's do it at the grassroots level and let's really support so coaches as always let's be sure to hone our craft one day 